Hi, and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. My name is Mary Jo McGuire, owner of MJ Nutrition. I have a degree and master's in nutritional science, and I'm studying to be a nutritional therapist also. I work with women every day who want to lose weight, improve their relationship with food, hack their hormones, regulate their cycle, restore their periods, learn about nutrition for hormonal balance, help women come off the pill, and lots more. This podcast will be a place to talk about all things female health related, from periods, the pill, weight loss, diets, fertility, acne, PMS, and lots, lots more. I hope this platform to be educational and empowering so women can take charge of their health, their hormones, so they can feel and look their best at all stages. Hi, and welcome to episode six of the Female Health Podcast. So I'm your host, Mary Jo McGuire, and today I have a lovely lady with me who is going to chat about IBS, gut health, and improving our relationship with food. So I have Sarah Hawkins, who is a registered nutritionist and also a yoga teacher. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Big Nutrition or Food is Good Nutrition, which is a cool name. And uh, yeah, she has amazing content there on uh, all things, uh, great recipes firstly, and also really good information on gut health, IBS, stress management, and again, improving our relationship with food. So I'm really, really glad that um, she's here today because I think she's going to give us some really good information for uh, coming into the Christmas period now where there is more stress, maybe more, uh, we're eating a lot more food and sometimes there can be more digestive issues and complaints around this time and uh, how can we cope with that and she's going to give us some advice on that so I think it's going to be a good one today so I'm going to pass it over to you Sarah and let you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about what you do. Well thanks Mel Mary Jo and so hi everyone my name is Sarah and I think I've had a great intro there but I suppose I'm a freelance nutritionist and yoga teacher. I work one-to-one with clients to help them to better manage their irritable bowel syndrome, any sort of gut issues like bloating, loose stools, reflux. And a really important one, which I think feeds into this quite a lot, is improving our relationship with food. And um, so I also work with people who have no gut issues and just want to improve their relationship with food. But these two things really tend to cross over quite a bit when it comes to gut issues because I think the first thing we think about when we're bloated or have issues with loose stools and things like that is, oh my God, what did I eat? Um, which can then result in cutting foods out and fear of different eating different foods and different things like that. And then, of course, anyone who does suffer with irritable bowel syndrome, and um, I'd say a lot of you can be quite familiar with the low FODMAP diet, which can make things really good for some people. And for others, it can make things really, really difficult. So I suppose I'll tell you a bit about my journey into nutrition I suppose. Um, So I studied my undergraduate degree in nutrition in Edinburgh. graduated about two years ago. Uh, The reason I got into nutrition was I was always a really active um, child. Every sort of sport that was available my parents just said yeah off you go and threw me at it. So I was really big into Gaelic games like camogie, Gaelic football, um, and then horse riding was my other thing. So the one thing I really stuck with was camogie, and I made it up to senior level when I was in my mid to late teens. And one day, I think I was in sixth year at the time, so like final year of um, secondary school in Ireland for anyone who's not from Ireland. And we had a nutritionist come in to speak to us about fueling our games, um, our training and recovery. And I was just sitting there and she was chatting away about this, that and the other and protein and carbohydrates and all this. And I thought, God, that's a really cool job. Hmm, maybe that's what I'll do. Because uh, in sixth year at that stage, I was like, Jesus, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Um, whatever. So anyway, that's where that began. Uh, in the end, I ended up moving to Edinburgh and then doing my undergrad. Spent a few years there. And through those few years, I always had a kind of, dodgy tummy when I was a kid so anytime I was nervous or worried about something I'd be bloated I'd have tummy aches um, and all all the time and then when I went through my teenage years not so much an issue more so kind of around leaving cert time and then particularly when I moved to Edinburgh um, it got really really bad I was always bloated tummy was a balloon I was always worried about how it looked you know wearing different clothes and trying to find ways to manage it 
I've been through the whole issues with the elimination diets, the low FODMAP diet, which actually only exacerbated the issue. And throughout the degree, I suppose most of my research and my different assignments and one of my dissertations, I was just so interested in the gut and how it worked. And especially when I came up in the degree, it was like, wow, oh, that's so cool. So um, yeah, basically a lot of my research went into looking at irritable bowel syndrome and gut health and digestion. And this is, I suppose, where the obsession began. And a lot of that then helped me to realize that it's not always to do with the food when it comes to gut health or IBS. And it can be a lot to do with how we're feeling and um, our stress levels. Um, and lots of other different things how we're moving how we're sleeping and different things like that and in hindsight when I look back I think obviously it was to do with stress because when I was a kid I had the issues when I was worried about different things uh, and then obviously when you move abroad at the age of 19 that's pretty stressful it's a completely different environment you're living with different people that you don't know you're moving away from what you know at home with your family your friends and different things like that um for me i was also in a relationship which was um then became long distance which was quite difficult um luckily that continued and lasted so that's good but you know there's a lot going on there lots and lots going on like firstly like moving and then adapting to a new place and the culture is different and studying um obviously university is completely different to secondary school so there's so much going on there so when I look back I'm thinking girl that's what was going on <laughs> it wasn't the food and then obviously the low FODMAP diet really didn't help with that that was extremely stressful also trying to learn how to look after yourself in terms of eating and sleeping and um, not drinking your life away uh, so yeah I suppose that's sort of my a short version of the yeah. entry into this area and why I'm so passionate about it yeah. And I think because I have that personal experience with IBS, it makes me that even more passionate about helping people to deal with their issues because I know that what that feels like and I've been in their shoes and I feel like it can be really helpful to know what they're going through and to sort of have that sort of side to things too. Yeah, absolutely. The personal, like having the experience with something definitely makes you more so compassionate and empathetic with your, your clients and you can then, then serve them more, I suppose, and help them a bit more as well, which is obviously what you want to do. And um, for those who don't know, do you want to explain just what the low FODMAP diet is as well? Because um, there probably is some listeners who may be like, what the hell is that? And it's something that, you know, comes up a lot. And for, I'd, I'd say you would agree with this, it's definitely second or third line treatment if you've got IBS it shouldn't be the first approach um with IBS and it often can be said oh no try the low fat mat diet but as you know what it does it starves the intestine of fiber and carbohydrates which they need to feed um to, for the healthy bacteria to flourish so yeah if you just want to explain a little, little bit about what that is just for people who don't know what it is sure um so yeah, I suppose that could be a very alien term for anybody who's not too familiar with um, IBS or that. So the low FODMAP diet is basically, FODMAP is an acronym for fermentable, oligo, di, mono, and polyols. Yeah. And these are all different types of carbohydrates, um, which they're not harmful, but for some people, so somebody who has IBS, or somebody, again, IBS is short for irritable bowel syndrome, just to clarify that, or a very sensitive gut. Sometimes this can cause a little bit of discomfort in the gut. Um, so these are found in loads of different foods, so many different foods that you couldn't possibly just be like, cut this, this, and this out. Um, and what actually happens is when these foods are consumed, for some people, not all, um, it either is going to draw some water into the gut and that can cause loose stools. And the other thing is in terms of the bloating, sometimes when our gut microbiome, the gut bacteria that live in our gut and are really good for us, they um, feed off these bacteria and then they ferment and cause the bloating and discomfort. So the low FODMAP diet is an extremely well-researched approach to IBS um, and it's continually being updated and researched and looked at and it's a really great, great approach and I think it's successful in about 70 to 75% of cases in IBS, which is fantastic. And exactly how it works is ideally we want to be working with a FODMAP trained nutrition professional in this case and it's a three-stage process where firstly you have the elimination phase where you eliminate the FODMAP 
high FODMAP foods and that allows you to sort of give your gut a bit of a break and help to manage the symptoms. This can last between two to six weeks depending on how quickly you get a improvement in symptoms. So for some people it could be two weeks which is great. The next phase then is the reintroduction phase. So we need to reintroduce these high FODMAP foods to help us to identify what foods are our main triggers and what foods at what levels. So this is not to say that this food, I eat this and it causes me symptoms. It might be that loads of this food might cause symptoms and a small amount is totally fine, which is great because that means that we have a more varied diet and it's fantastic. And then the final phase is to tailor that sort of personalized FODMAP approach diet. So then you have a really varied diet and it's not just these lists of foods are fine and I'm really stressed. So ideally when we're working with, say, a FODMAP trained dietitian, that's fantastic because they can help you make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need, that you're kind of substituting any foods in to help with any foods that you're taking out and the nutrients that you may be losing there. It can help you continue to have a bit of a variety in your diet and it can also give you that support along the way because this approach is extremely restrictive and it's really difficult. Like it's really really hard particularly if you're somebody who likes to socialize likes to go for meals or likes to go to your friend's house for dinner likes to go for a coffee and a cake you know different things like that and um it can become very very scary and difficult when you're doing it by yourself very isolating which really doesn't help with ibs so ideally in every in this situation we would like to be working with a FODMAP trained dietitian to do this but that is rarely the case um because a lot of the time when People go to their doctor with, say, issues with their gut and they get diagnosed with IBS. Um, and this is nothing wrong with doctors. This is lack of time, lack of resources, lack of knowledge. The, they're kind of say, here's a printout, low FOMAP diet, go on off your way and try it. Um, for some people who don't have any knowledge in nutrition, and most people don't, in terms of the low FOMAP diet, a lot of people don't know that the support is available to them without being told that. And I know in my case, even though as I was a nutrition student at the time, when I had, um, when I had contact with a doctor through then HS, um, I didn't realise that that was an option. And this is the experience I experienced. And I would say most people who come to me have had this experience too. So anyway, you go off on your way, you've got your short list of foods, and then all of a sudden you get stuck in that elimination phase for months maybe years and very quickly the diet becomes very restrictive very quickly we become very tired very stressed very worried about potentially consuming that food and um, we get very worried about socializing or going out sometimes worrying about being in the wrong place at the wrong time and not being near a toilet and more often than not in these situations, the stress and the anxiety of these potentially eating these foods or actually eating these foods are going to be doing more harm than actually eating the foods. And that stress becomes a, a big contributor to your symptoms, particularly if this diet is done in the long term alone. So while it's really, really successful in 70% of um, cases, we have to remember that in that research that has been done the people who are following the low form of diet have the support they have the dietitian nearby and um, they have it done it's done properly with a dietitian and every phase is done and completed um, and there's also the 30 percent who with that support it didn't work for and also in real life terms that is not always the case so I'm not in any way bashing the low FODMAP diet there are plenty of people who have had an amazing experience with it and it's changed their life and I do not want to um, take that away from anybody. But for those who haven't had such a good experience, it can be really, really difficult, really isolating. And that's what I kind of like to help with in my practice is anybody who has had that bad experience, they're feeling completely stuck. Life is really, really hard. They're in a lot of pain. They're in a lot of discomfort with their symptoms. They're really stressed about food. They're really stressed about not being able to go out and socialize and live their life. Um, basically, I like to work with people to try overcome that and find an alternative approach, which isn't so focused on diet.
Yeah, that sounds really good. I mean, yeah, I think it's really important to note, like, as you say, like the studies that are done on the low FODMAP diet are in a controlled environment. Um, whereas like everyday life isn't like that. As you say, like you're going to go out to restaurants and want to socialize with your friends. And it's as you, like the list of foods that you can't eat on a low FODMAP diet are quite extensive. So it's it's virtually impossible to do that comfortably. And then as you say, then you get that stress and anxiety that you're not doing it properly. What are you going to do if you have this? And then that, that exasperates things further. So it's quite a, it definitely needs to be done with, um, with support um, for it to be uh, successful. And obviously the goal is that you're not going to be doing it long-term. That's never, like, it's not meant to be like that. Um, but yeah, I think what you're doing, it sounds really great. And I suppose what comes from that is, say those who've done the low FODMAP diet and are still on and say over a period of time that's probably well more likely too long and um, they develop negative relationships with food and eating then like what is that your experience with that and again how do you support those clients? Yeah so there's some people I've worked with who've been on the low FODMAP diet for years and for, for me I just think that's so so upsetting for them and really horrible because it is isolating. It can bring so much anxiety and fear and around the foods where it's like, I can't go to my friend's house for a meal because I'm too embarrassed that if I have a reaction, I might need to use their toilet and leaving smells and different things like that, or even having to tell a friend if they're not so close. Having like the safe safety kind of experiences, like if I'm getting a flight or I'm going on a train, I need to know where the toilets are. I need to go to the toilet before. I need to not eat the day before um this is something that comes up all the time it's like the safety things especially about not eating and not drinking which can actually really exacerbate symptoms too because if we're not eating then the muscles in the gut are slowing down too and then it's adding to the potential bloating and the pain and different things like that but these are all very valid ways to try and manage what's happening because if you are in a situation where you're sitting on a train and you need to go to the toilet and there isn't one nearby it can be really really stressful and really upsetting so basically how I like to work is, okay, well, let's see where you're at now. What foods are on your safe list and why are they safe? What's so, what makes you feel good and okay about eating them? And most of the time it's like, well, I don't experience any symptoms when I eat these. They're on the sort of quote unquote um, low FOMAP list. So I know that it's safe. Um, perfect. That's great. So then it's sort of going back a little bit and thinking about when did your symptoms begin? When were you first diagnosed? And what was going on in your life at that time and um, different things like that are a really great way to kind of look at it and then when we look at their list of say banned foods and um, we'll have a look at saying for example let's go with like bread or like uh, dairy or different things like that we might go through okay so have you ever consumed these foods and then it's sort of like yeah when I was a kid I loved having toast I loved having hot chocolate I loved eating this that and the other um, but then I stopped eating it because when I was diagnosed with IBS. So then it's sort of like, okay, cool, that's great. So at a point in your life, these foods are fine and you enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah, I really like them. I actually really miss drinking milk. Cool. Okay, so why did you stop eating these foods? What made you decide that they were causing you the issue? And it's usually going to be something like it was on the list of low fat or high fat my foods that I saw. Um, somebody suggests it to me this is not to um disrespect anybody who does make suggestions for people because these suggestions come from a great place they want to help somebody not be in pain and to help them out but sometimes these kind of comments like oh well i read online or my friend did this aren't so helpful because it can kind of sort of again us exacerbate that issue but yeah something like that a friend suggested it i read it online a blogger said it um instagrammer um, all these sorts of things okay Perfect, cool. So then we cut out the the food at this point. Um, how, how long ago was that? And then when we explore the reasons and who they got the information of, we sort of look at, do they have any sort of nutrition background or um, experience with this issue or with, have they got any qualifications? And um, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And then we can kind of open a discussion to kind of talk about that more and say, okay, well, for example if it was a friend or someone without any qualifications it's sort of like where do you think they got it from is it 
really very um, reliable information. And sometimes it can be, sometimes it's not. And then we can maybe explore the kind of option of trying to reintroduce these and try them out and see how we get on, I suppose. Yeah. And sometimes it's a lot to do with the thoughts that's going on around the food rather than the actual food itself. Yeah. Sometimes we need to break that down a little bit more and think, why are you fearful of this food? What do you think is going to happen? What is the most worst case scenario here? Um, and how do we work with that? And usually when we have that discussion, it can make things really, really helpful. And um, sometimes I've found with some clients foods that they haven't eaten in years that they absolutely loved. And um, they're starting to bring that back into their diet. And it's amazing for them because it's like, I really miss this food. This tastes great. I'm enjoying and I'm excited for my dinners. And then for other cases, it's like, well, actually, I haven't eaten this food for no good reason other than I thought it was on the low FODMAP diet and like there isn't actually a, a specific reason so it's like hmm, i don't actually know why i don't eat that food and then it's like okay well do you like it yeah you want to try it yeah okay and then we might have a session two weeks later and it's like oh my god i ate a carrot for the first time in four years or six years or two years and it just added such a nice bit of flavor to my meal yeah and it's a really interesting way to look at it that it's like when you're actually asked the question and you're able to voice your thoughts that are around that food it's sort of then like um oh okay <laughs> let's try it yeah. so yeah it's a really interesting um conversation most of the time but or yeah like it's like a behavior day more so than anything that they've implemented and they don't know where it started from and it's just now a, a learned belief or something that they have it's like a belief about this certain foods that like no i can't go near them and may not even remember where it came from or why that's the belief it's just something they have now and like yeah it's great that you're breaking that down and having the conversation and establishing that and then that's opening them up to I suppose um, giving it a go really and yeah enjoying food again which is so so important and um, along with that like when you're supporting their improved relationship with food I'm sure that you have to help them as well with um, supporting the gut health and um, obviously making it easier for them to I suppose, digest food, absorb the nutrients and not get these symptoms like the IBS type symptoms, which can vary for everyone, but like, you know, diarrhea or constipation, depending, um, bloating, flatulence, a, a lot of those kind of things are quite common. And um, so while you're supporting them with improving their relationship with food and reintroducing foods that they may have been afraid of, um, how do you help them also um, manage these symptoms when adding these foods back in and having a more varied diet? Yeah, so a lot, of, lot to do with my approach is um, looking at lifestyle interventions too. So while food plays a big role in gut health and IBS and things like that, it's only one piece to the puzzle. So we'll look at how are you sleeping? How's that going on? Because if we're not sleeping very well, then that can have an impact on say our circadian rhythm and our eating habits and our energy levels and when we're not sleeping very well and our body clock is a little all over the place our gut is also a little all over the place because our gut is really quite habitual and it gets used to being told that okay we get up at eight o'clock in the morning we have our breakfast at half past eight and we start our day at nine yeah if that's being pushed to say like 10 o'clock and then we're not eating till like 12 and then because we have we've only eaten at 12 we may not be eating till later on and things like that and then because maybe our sleep isn't so great we're choosing foods that maybe are a little bit heavier in say fat or sugar and not so high in fiber that can also have an impact and the volumes of those foods which can feel a bit heavier on the gut can have an impact too so that can have an impact on say your bloating your gas your loose stools and things like that so have a little look at that and say how are you sleeping um, great perfect let's move on or not so good okay how do we deal with that and then we'll look into say like sleep hygiene and building routines and different things like that another thing that's important is movement and just getting a little bit of movement so how are you exercising um yeah okay cool what kind of exercise are you doing how often are you exercising because sometimes the types and frequency of exercise can have an impact on our digestion too so if you're doing hit training like seven days a week and very little rest that can have a real impact on the sort of stress response which has a big impact on our gut 
Um, so maybe we can look at maybe pulling that back a bit to maybe instead of seven, maybe we could bring it back to four or five and then look at some more rest days or bringing in some more restorative sort of um, exercise like yoga or even just some stretching or just lying down. Um, and then for me, obviously I'm a yoga teacher, that would play a big role too. So we look at maybe are you interested in maybe doing some yoga or some any sort of meditation or thing like that because that can really help with the stress and with the yoga it's actually I love bringing this one up because I think it's so interesting that the study there's lots of studies coming out to show that yoga can be as beneficial for IBS as a low FOMAP diet or as effective in managing symptoms so that can be a really great thing for people who have had no luck with the low FOMAP diet and want something completely different so maybe trying to bring that in a little bit even if it's like using a YouTube video for like five or ten minutes a day or a few times a week or just doing some gentle stretches so things like twists and kind of forward folds are really good for um any sort of gas buildup or bloating and then also the the movement and the mindfulness is really good for the stress response and bringing us back to sort of that calm state and then obviously stress is going to be a huge one um so i suppose i'll go through the stress response in a little bit more detail because i think this is one part of irritable bowel syndrome and our gut health that often there's definitely becoming a lot more interest in the area of stress and IBS but I think it's some something that still doesn't always get enough focus on um, but it's really plays a huge role on that sort of gut brain axis um, which is really important in IBS so basically your gut brain axis is how your gut and your brain are communicating and they're always communicating all the time and you know so you're I think it's a really good way to explain this is sort of like a telephone line so your brain might pick up the phone and be like hi gut how are you how's things down there and your gut's like oh good yeah grand and your gut might be like hey by the way we're feeling a little bit hungry and um, could you get us some food and then the brain is like yeah cool and then your brain's going to drive you then to go to the fridge and make up a meal or get a snack and then you consume that and then the gut might be like thanks male brain we're nice and full down here so you can tell her to stop obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that but like that's quite an easy way to kind of think of it in IBS this sort of gut brain axis is a little bit shaky or the phone line is a little bit crackly you know when you try and make a phone call and the person doesn't have coverage and you're like can you hear me now that's kind of what's going on there um so the gut brain axis is really um sensitive to stress as well so a really good way to think of this is as well is um during the, re the stress response or the fight or flight response some people may have covered this or know of this um, basically your body releases loads of hormones and acts really quickly to get you out of that situation and a really good example of this is say when we were living back in caveman days um, I know it's completely different to that now but walk along looking for some water or maybe to go for a wash or getting some food or something next thing you're faced with this big massive bear and you're like oh god he's big we have to deal with this so your brain identifies this threat and really quickly it releases a whole load of different responses to get your body to get ready to either fight this bear or to run away. So one of those would be, or a few of them would be say, increasing your heart rate. So that's gonna pump more blood around to your extremities and moving the blood away from sort of the torso and the digestive system. So you've got enough energy to deal with that. And um, it's gonna make your breath like a lot shallower. So sometimes you might find if you're feeling stressed or anxious, you're kind of breathing more in your chest and a little bit quicker, like, cause it's like just getting more oxygen in. Um, another interesting thing that happens is your, any kind of unnecessary functions going on in the body. So say like reproduction or digestion aren't really necessary. So your body's like, see ya, we need to save this energy for fighting the bear or running away. So in that moment, it's probably not really important for your body to be able to make a baby because you don't want to have a baby right there. And your digestion is also sort of halted because it's not important right there. We need to save that energy for dealing with the situation. So then when you deal with the situation, in that case, it's probably going to be running back to your cave into safety. We're all calm and happy and the rest and digest phase comes in and then everything goes back to normal. You're able to breathe better heart rate goes down and then your digestion can start up again. 
One of the things that happens in that fight or flight response is your bowels might open to make you lighter. So that's where we get the loose stool or your food might just be left in your gut to ferment for that little bit longer, which is where we get this sort of bloating. So while we're not living in these caveman days anymore, we are still being hit by loads of stressors all of the time. Sometimes multiple stressors all at once, particularly during this crazy year where we're living in a global pandemic. And if we're not really getting ourselves back to that rest and digest state, that can have a huge impact on your digestion, on your gut. And then when we have these sort of symptoms of I'm bloated again, I can't stay out of the toilet, reflux is annoying me, the stress of that can then feed that sort of loop of stress response, stress, stress response, stress, and then we're stuck in it. So I think with IBS, it's really important to always remember that stress is always going to be a major player, and particularly when you're feeling stressed about your symptoms. So it's really important to find ways to manage that stress. And I know we're coming kind of to the end of this crazy year and there is some light at the end of the tunnel. However, we are coming into another stressful period of Christmas and even the new year and lots of stuff, different things going on. Um, so I can tell you loads of different ways to manage your stress, but some of those could be even more stressful for you. <laughs> so it's sort of important to find ways that you like to chill out. So for some people that could be listening to music or going for a walk, listening to podcasts, could be playing some music on like a piano or a keyboard or something like that, painting and cooking some people love cooking some people hate it could be doing yoga could be doing meditation but it doesn't have to be anything that fancy and sometimes even just setting some boundaries and asking for help can be really really helpful so if you're finding that you're completely exhausted and you can't deal with another like meeting out because i know we've been in lockdown for a long time and now there's all this pressure to get out and see people and to do things and to be out and about which is really tiring especially when you've been home for so long and also dealing with everything else going on. Having those boundaries to be like, thank you so much for inviting me, but I'm really not up to it today. Maybe we can do it next week. Or if you're struggling with your workload, because I know that's a big thing for people this year. And a lot of my clients is working from home. They're expected to do so much more, um, even though they're, they have maybe two less commutes a day, but not an extra five hours so um having those boundaries to say i clock on at this time i clock off at this time closing the laptop getting out doing your bits and really making sure that you're making that time for you and making more time for it so yeah i think the management of stress is going to be a really big one in every case and then if you need help too you can always delegate your tasks or ask a family member can they do some jobs for you or asking your friend can they listen to your struggles um, and that's going to be really important so we add in all those sort of aspects of like, okay, how are you managing your stress? How is life at the moment? What's going on? And even though they may not feel stressed, sometimes it's like, actually, there's a lot going on. Um, I'm looking after mom. Um, I'm really struggling with the pandemic. Um, work is really busy. And it's like, okay, so how do we fit in some more time for you? And what would look best for you? And then we'll always add that in each day as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. <clears throat> I think like, so to sum up there, like, lifestyle has a huge role in managing any digestive issues ibs or any other discomforts even if it's not even ibs completely just a bit of bloating that you might get and that like lifestyle is extremely important uh, for that and like everything you said there your sleep definitely massively important because again if you're not sleeping you'll have raised cortisol and that's gonna like it's your stress hormone and it's gonna uh, impact the flow of blood to the digestive area and then your movement your gut is also a muscle it needs to be moved as well so i think like the yoga is so great for that because it's quite nice gentle movements and also the breath is bringing the blood flow to the digestive organs which is what you need and then finally obviously managing your stress and i like what you say not telling people to do something it's finding what they like that like because something that you could tell something someone to do could be so stressful for them so it's really important to to yeah get people thinking about what works for them and like just being in a room by themselves could be like like their own stressful um or could be anti-stress for them or whatever something that like what you're saying like what i do with my clients who again um i'd like i'd work with ibs clients and they come in like it's quite common actually with pcos to have them um, gut issues as well they kind of go in tandem a lot of the time um, and something that and you probably do this as well is kind of focus a little bit on mindful eating so um 
you know, again, and that's, it's bringing in like the breath work. So the concepts of yoga, I think, and the benefits of that. So like before you sit down to eat a meal and even before you touch your cutlery and um, really like in, take in the smells of the food um, and sit there and savor what you're about to have and like start taking, like I would say the 5, 10, 15 rule. I don't know if you follow that, but it's like five deep belly breaths before you even eat anything. So it's yeah. getting the flow of blood to the, the stomach, the digestive organs. Mm-hmm. And then 10 is chewing your food for 10 mouthfuls. So really like slowing down the eating. And so you're not like, um, you know, it's, it's allowed, it's basically you're giving your, your brain and gut a, a chance to catch up with one another and for the gut to say to the brain, I'm actually full now. So you can stop uh, eating as much. And like so often we're just rushing and eating so quickly that we don't get a chance to get that message. And then we realize we're actually over full and we're stuffed. And that's so leads to so many discomfort feelings as well and um, so again it's kind of like um taking those 10 mouthfuls but leaving the cutlery down in between and just giving yourself a chance to really eat the food and enjoy it and then 15 is trying to spread the meal out over 15 minutes which is actually a challenge it's really really hard you know sometimes i say to people put a timer on and just uh, try and do that um but like it, it's quite challenging to do that but again it's it's good to kind of work towards you know if you're trying to spread it out but if you're doing you know the five deep belly breaths and then if you're trying to chew the food for 10 mouthfuls each time and leave the cutlery down you should get there eventually but again that can like i've seen amazing results with clients with improved like uh, bloating and just less discomfort Um, Mm. that's amazing like just from a small thing again not actually removing anything from your diet not adding in all these special supplements just a simple thing like that and I just think it ties up with everything that you've been saying about the breath work and like the bear analogy it kind of is that it's just bringing the blood flow instead of to other areas that are stressed it's going to the digestive organs and things like that so yeah and I think um there's so much you can do with lifestyle without having to touch the food and I think that the food should always be sort of the last resort because you want to sort of reduce the stress as much as possible so if you're putting someone on a really restrictive diet that's stressful in itself because it's like I need to go and find new recipes I need to go check everything when I'm going shopping and we I think the aim of the game is really to sort of make this as least as less of of an impact on your life as possible because we want you to have a nice easy happy stressful stressless life and I think another really important thing is sort of which ties back to sort of the bloating and the mindful eating is actually getting in touch and tuning into sort of the hunger and fullness sensations which is something that people really don't really know much about I suppose because it's not really something we talk about and with such a huge focus in this sort of diet culture based world we live in where it's like you should be eating less you should be you should be hungry because then you're going to be skinny or you're you should be eating only until you're three quarters full or different things like that we can really lose touch with sort of what our hunger feels like and sometimes a really interesting question and conversation that I like to have my clients is like so what does hunger feel like for you for some people it can really be like god what like why is she asking me this and it's a really interesting really really, making me think I'm like god yeah yeah Yeah. I think we're all really familiar with that sort of like gurgling like Mm -hmm. aggressive growling or like emptiness in the tummy and I think those are the really extreme ends of the scales in terms of hunger And we have other sort of hunger signals, like maybe feeling that little bit weaker in terms of energy, getting headaches, feeling tired, even though you've slept pretty well the night before. And, you know, even that teeny tiny little gurgle in your tummy that we tend to ignore when we're busy. Sometimes when we respond to the hunger that little bit earlier, it can help us to maintain sort of our energy across the day. It can maintain the movement of our digestive organs. So they're kind of working away nicely and things are moving through quite nicely. And it can also prevent us to get into the point where we're absolutely starving. And then we don't even have time to eat mindfully because we're just, we need food and we need it quick. And then in these moments, when we're really, really hungry, we tend to eat a lot quicker. We tend to suck in air with that. And like that, when your body and your gut isn't, hasn't got that message from the brain that's like, hey, food's coming, you know, the digestive juices aren't really flowing properly. 
it's not really ready for that food, which can have a real impact on your digestion, as well as the fact that you're not, like you said, chewing enough. The food is going down a little bit too quickly. The air is going in. And then, of course, you're going to feel really bloated because of the mix of the air and then the volume of that food. And often when we get to this point, that message of fullness doesn't come as quick because we're so busy shoving everything in as quick as possible. And then we can find at the end that we've eaten way past our kind of comfortable fullness. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that because there will be periods over Christmas when you're going to eat well past your fullness because that's what we do. But when this is something that's happening quite quite often every day and we're eating a lot of food and that bloating can be really uncomfortable, sometimes it can be helpful to really tune into stripping it back to eating regularly, eating enough at those meals and making sure that you're not leaving yourself to get really, really hungry in the evening and then ending up eating everything in the fridge or the press to kind of make up for that. Um, so sometimes with the bloating, it can be as simple as that. Um, because I think sometimes when people experience things like bloating and loose stools, the first thing is, oh God, I must have IBS. And sometimes it's as simple as your eating habits, um, how you're feeling around your eating. Sometimes when we're feeling really, really stressed while we're eating, that can also impact our gut. Because again, the stress response, the blood is away from the gut. Yeah. Your food isn't properly being properly digested and then you can have all of these experiences. So yeah, there's a lot to do in terms of like eating habits, lifestyle changes and all of these different things before we even need to touch the food, which yeah. can be, like you said, it can really have dramatic results and be life-changing for somebody yeah. and then they don't even need to worry too much about their food. Yeah, it's really great though that there's so much that you can do to manage it from a basic level without having to overhaul your lifestyle really, which is super. And um, like all of this stuff will also help people who don't have IBS you don't have to have IBS for this to help mm-hmm. you like because I think everyone experiences from time to time a little bit of bloating and just discomfort and um, so practicing these on a day-to-day level especially things like mindful eating and keep getting into your hunger cues and understanding that and like even it bringing in yoga into your life that will have benefits and all areas of your life it doesn't have to it's like obviously your digestive areas and reducing your stress and your stress is so you know it really manifests in so many other areas and always kind of impacts your health in some regard you know whether it's your reproductive health and your your hormones or your digestion and your brain health whatever it does impact uh, most areas so like managing that from lifestyle levels is so um it, it's going to like improve everything really in, in your life and as I say you don't have to have the gut issues to bring these into your life and work on them because they'll benefit everything really and um, which is great about it like so I think they've been such good tips for people who have IBS or think they might have it but like what would you say to someone who at the moment thinks they have IBS or is struggling with gut issues like what should they do and Uh, where should they start to work on things yeah I think with IBS um it's important to get like a diagnosis for the IBS so if you think that you might be struggling with IBS I think the kind of diagnosis criteria is experiencing gas gastrointestinal or difficulties with sort of like bloating changes in bowel habits and pain and we need to see this kind of regularly on at least one day a week for at least three months and the onset should be six months previous to this. So if it's something like you're experiencing a range of gut issues like that and it's really impacting on your life, it's probably a good idea to get an appointment with the GP. That way you can explore whether it is IBS. If it's not IBS, it could be something more serious like celiac disease it could be irritable bowel disease so something like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and which are a little bit more tricky and a little bit more serious and which would need extra support from a dietitian and it could be something even more serious like bowel cancer or something like that or it could be none of those and it could just be that you're needing to change something in terms of your lifestyle or your eating habits. So to anyone who's listening who might be thinking that they might be experiencing IBS, it might be a good idea to get that checked because you can go to a nutritionist and we can work with your symptoms and we would be able to say, okay, this sounds like something a little bit more serious. Maybe we can refer you on to the doctor to get it double checked. We can also work with what symptoms you have and help you deal with that. But to get the diagnosis, it needs to be done with the GP. And knowing that 
if the GP diagnoses you IBS and there's not much else said, that you have a range of amazing nutritionists and dietitians and nutrition professionals out there who are more than happy to help and that you're not on your own. Um, yeah. And yeah, also looking into those different things, like how is life at the moment is yeah. quite stressful? What's going on? Has there been a big change, like a job loss or a breakup or illness in the family? Those are big things too that can have just randomly bring gut issues to the forefront without it being any of these conditions. Yeah, totally. I think that's really helpful for people to be aware of. And everything that you said in this episode that you can implement most of them straight away so even if you are experiencing these things before you even visit a gp you can get started on looking at your sleep looking at your movement looking at your stress levels and you know not panicking about what you need to cut out and eliminating firstly like work on those areas and then obviously you can go visit your gp as well to get started and get a diagnosis and then go from there um but as you say there's so many nutritionists now and that, that can support this and in such a like a user-friendly way it's not like the restrictive diet mentality it's um you know to be as i say user-friendly to bring it into your everyday lifestyle and manageable and that you can keep visiting your friends and go out for dinner and that's so important because if you're as we said so much in this if you're restricting yourself from that it's just kind of make you sad and miserable and stressed and again we know now the impacts that has on your gut health so you know it's kind of counterproductive you know you want to be able to enjoy most of the foods that you can and um, so you can go out and socialize and uh, nutritionists can really guide you with that if you've got any of those kind of gut issues so that's pretty much it around the gut area what i want to get you to do before we go is coming into christmas new year lots more parties uh, drinking things like that um, like people maybe a bit stressed by, and worried how they're going to manage all the food, all the drink and things like that. What's your top tips to them on like, you know, on building a healthy relationship with food and themselves over this time so they're not stressing and panicking too much? Yeah, of course. So I suppose like Christmas is always going to be a stressful time in terms of everything going on with trying to get your last bit of Christmas shopping done um, seeing maybe some family members who are... A little bit difficult or might like to comment on your body shape or your weight or different things like that um, or even just navigating a new Christmas this year in a global pandemic which is slightly different so I suppose firstly in terms of kind of you know a lot of people like to go into this period with a little bit of restriction and trying to control different things and eating less I think a really important thing is to remember that this is one short period of the full year maybe two or three weeks in total out of 52. It's a time for making memories. You know, there's people who are in your life at the moment who won't be here forever. So it's nice to um, think of that and try and make memories, enjoy the time, enjoy the food. That food has been created by somebody who's really, really loves you. So that's really nice too. Knowing that with all the different things going on, we've got more alcohol, more food, a little bit less movement, bit of stress in the mix there with everything going on maybe sleep is a little bit off of course you're going to be feeling heavier of course you're going to be bloated you might put on weight I think everybody puts on weight at Christmas but it is a temporary state once you get back to your normal routine in January without having to really really restrict a lot you're going to kind of go back to your normal routine and yes you'll feel bloated but some ways to kind of help manage that is eating regularly during the day sometimes we want to sort of you know keep our calories for the evening when actually if we're restricting all day and then we get to the evening again going back to that kind of starvation sort of feeling where we need to eat everything really quickly it's probably going to be a better idea to eat your regular meals during the day then when you get to the evening meal you can eat your food mindfully you can taste it you can enjoy it and you can kind of prevent that sort of bloating that will come with that and um, you'll be less likely to eat loads and loads and loads at a um one period of time which will make you feel a little bit heavy and sluggish um so that, that's going to be really important i suppose number one will be to think of the memories you're making and enjoy that factor number two is eating regularly across the day getting some water in where you can and um, if you're struggling with hangovers water is going to be really helpful so drinking enough during the day and then maybe having some water alongside your alcoholic drinks and uh during in the evening can be quite helpful and then to anyone, I suppose, who's struggling with maybe comments from family members or um, 
wanting to sort of avoid that chat around diets or um, body image or different things like that. I know this can be a really big one for a lot of people because we have different family members who like to comment on different things like that. Know that you don't have to engage if you're in sort of a group setting where people are talking about, um, God, you look great, you've lost weight or you've, this one's put on weight. You don't have to engage. You can walk away. If you need a break, you can say, oh, better go check on the dinner or go to the toilet. If you're on a one-on-one -on -one basis with somebody, you have the option to ask that person to not talk about that and um, you know that's again setting that boundary that look I'd rather not talk about this topic we talk about something else um, and then also if you don't want to be that confrontational you're also able to make conversation about something different so you might say oh look at the weather like us Irish love to do so hopefully those few things are are helpful I know that it can be a really stressful time but know that it is a short period of one year and I don't think there's going to be many people who will look back on Christmas 2020 and think about how much you ate or how much you didn't eat. It's going to probably be more about like, Jesus, remember, we had dinner over Zoom. So, yeah, yeah trying your best to keep that in mind and make the memories, enjoy the time with your family, enjoy the food. That's like the best part about Christmas. Yeah. And it's temporary. Yeah, like I think the extra two, whatever few pounds you put on are worth it for the memories and the food. And so what if you do, as you say, everyone does at this time of year. So yeah, just make the memories, enjoy them. And because like, as we know, this year was such a, a weird year, like then pounds are worth it. Like we deserve them at this stage to earn, like, to, to put them on and just have the extra few drinks and chocolates and sweets. You know, I'm encouraging that nearly with people. Like don't deprive yourself if, um, you know, yeah, it just leads to, stressful times when you're doing that then and again you'll probably overeat then if you try to restrict yourself so it's kind of a cat 22 you're better off just embracing it and having a good time yeah let's end it on a high and remember yeah. that there's so many people that you haven't seen since last year yeah. um so enjoying a few drinks with them enjoying some food with them or making yeah. moves with them is really really important and yeah. to really really enjoy i it. can't wait to put on a few pounds of Christmas. <laughs> i don't care so look um i think that's everything we've we've really chatted a lot there we went from the low fodmap diet how to manage like your poor relationship with food and uh, adding um supportive nutrition strategies lifestyle strategies what you could do if you think about ibs and then some tips for the end of the year so we got loads in there and i think it was a brilliant uh, lots of brilliant information and you really know your stuff in this area so like really really great stuff so if people want to uh, follow you or like see what you do uh, where can they find you yeah so I do most of my work on Instagram um, and also kind of tied to Facebook so my Instagram handle is at f.i.g underscore nutrition underscore and there's lots of kind of free content there uh, different articles and podcasts as well and you can contact me there or if you want to speak to me or ask any other questions, you can also find me on my email at foodisgoodnutrition at gmail.com. Perfect. So, well, I'll put your uh, Instagram handle in the, the links for the, the podcast episodes so people can uh, get onto your page and yeah, they can see all the great content that you have. But look, thank you so, so much there for coming on. It's been so enjoyable, so informative. And yeah, thank you. Thanks a million. And happy Christmas and happy new year to you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was You're great. Awesome. <laughs> Take care. Bye.